27, verse 17, the iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. It's not just for men, but obviously that's for humans. <clears throat> Excuse me. I used to have a cough drop in my mouth. So as one person, one man, one woman sharpens another, iron sharpens iron. It makes a lot of sense, although it's sometimes difficult to do. But a sharp knife is an excellent aid. A sharp knife does some good things for us. When we need a knife, we don't want to look for one that is dull. We want one that's sharp. <clears throat> it seemed like for most of my growing up years, maybe all my growing up years, we never had a sharp pair of scissors in our house. So, I mean, it would not cut anything. It wouldn't cut paper. All of my assignments at school, in elementary school, when I used the scissors from home, all had these rugged edges on them because where I had pulled because the scissors didn't work. You know what it's like to have a dull knife or a dull pair of scissors. And the Bible is so clear and, and just so logical. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. You want a sharp knife, not a dull knife or a dull axe. From what at least my theory is, and probably this is the truth, and I'm going to act like it's the truth, according to David Duncan, the steak knife at a steak restaurant is just as important as the steak itself because the steak knife can cover up all kinds of the, of the chef's mistakes. Because if it cuts with that knife, you go, oh, boy, that's tender, don't you? Because if they don't have a sharp knife and it's not very good, well, you know, you say this is a bad steak. So having sharpness, not in a steak restaurant, but having sharpness in life and obviously with our Christian life is an important thing. If you are in business, you want to be sharp. You want to know your stuff. When you go into the interview or whenever you're at your job site, you want to know your stuff. You want to be sharpened. But if you never learn, if you never go back for, a, for more education, it's easy to become dull. If all you do is you stop and you graduated from college in 1975 and you're still doing the same thing. You probably have some wisdom, but if you're using the things that worked in 1975, you're probably going to be considered at least dull to people using modern-day 21st century methods. So a sharp knife is an, excellent, is an excellent aid, but also be careful to sharpen with the right material. Be careful to sharpen with the right material as I think about in the book of 1 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul is writing in chapter 15 in verses 33 and 34, and he says this, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your, for to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. Do you realize who he's saying this to, that some of you don't know God at all? He's not writing this to a pagan audience. He's writing it to a Christian audience. He's writing it to an audience that would have shown up to hear the letter read. And he said, some of you, because of the company you keep, you don't know God anymore. 
Now, obviously, there's a thing in the importance about being around people who aren't Christians because how in the world are we supposed to convert people if that aren't Christians if we're not around people who aren't Christians? That's true. But if they influence us more than we influence them, then we have a problem. Haven't you known people that, boy, they were on fire for Jesus? They were excited about their faith. Maybe they moved to a new place. Maybe they... Maybe they just got a new neighbor in next door, whatever it is. Maybe it's a new job. And all at once, instead of being sharp, they become dull. What used to, you would have never believed about a person because they were so on fire for the Lord. Now it's almost as if it is a completely different person. Be careful with what sharpens you or sharpens us. Make sure it's the right material. Make sure it's someone that's in the Lord. And we meet for the purpose of sharpening. So tonight, there are a lot of things you could have done, obviously. It is, for Houston, it is chill, a chilly night. You know, I think it was 59 or 56 when we were driving in. And I, and I said to Barbara, the car next to us, the woman had on, had on a thing around her ears, you know, so to keep them warm, and she was wearing a coat. And I said, you know, at 59 degrees in Philadelphia, they're probably in shorts and T-shirts, you know. But here it's like winter. So you could have stayed home on a, wind, on a cold, blustery winter night in Houston. You could have been watching even the Dallas Cowboys right now. There are all kinds of things you could be doing. And some folks obviously are watching online, and you have taken time to watch. The reason we meet is for the purpose of sharpening each other. It is for being better, and we're going to find this out in just a minute. It is not all just about getting a sermon and going. It's a lot deeper than that. It's not just about singing songs and leaving. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. I think about in Acts chapter 2, church had just started in Acts chapter 2, and I'm sorry, that's not my passage. That's going to be for a, for a later time. In Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, it's going to get to the same point. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we for profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, some of you know this passage well. This is one for those my age or even a little bit younger growing up in churches of Christ it is especially Hebrews 10 25 we heard a lot and so it was not forsaking the assembly of our uh, assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing is how it was in the old King James and we would quote that for the purpose of saying if you miss church you're going to get zapped well, is it important to come together? Absolutely. But just sitting on a pew is not what it's talking about. It goes a whole lot deeper than that. It is about being part of the community. It is about being part of the, of the Christian community. It's not just saying, hey, you made it in, you made it out. It's not, hey, I showed up for the Lord's Supper, now I leave. I probably shared this before and, and not different than a lot of churches. I remember a church that, 
that I was in when I was a little boy. I can remember hearing my parents talk and others talk that people were leaving right after the Lord's Supper. They'd take the Lord's Supper and they would leave, and the Lord's Supper is in the first 15 minutes. So we're going to change that, and we're going to have the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. And you know what people did? They all started coming late. <laughs> Just as long as you got the magic potion, you were okay. That is not what it is about. Is the Lord's Supper important? Absolutely. We take it every week and with good purpose. But it is not about getting a magic potion. It's about something much deeper than that. So you look at this passage. Let us hold unswervingly. Let's not stop. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And so how am I going to hold on unswervingly to this hope? How am I going to do that? And then he says... And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so now I'm not going to just be holding on unswervingly, but I'm going to try to encourage you as iron sharpens iron to hold on unswervingly as well. And so if I'm going to do that, we're not going to be able to give up meeting together because we still need to have contact. Now, obviously, we have other things we can do. We stream, we have Zoom, we have telephones, we, have, we can text and all that. But there is still something really important about meeting together so that we can encourage each other so that we do not lose the hope. You see how important that is? But some are in the habit of not meeting. And when they're not in the habit of meeting... They're not in the habit of encouraging other people. And when they're not in the, herbit, in the habit of encouraging other people, other people are dying, and so are, they, or so are they, and they are letting loose of the hope. Now, some folks, and I know we have folks that are streaming, and, and it's a difficult time, and if you're sick, stay home, please. And no, some folks can't get out right now. I, I understand that, and, and, and it's just the world we live in. But I also know that 99% of churches are not back to where they were before. Attendance-wise, if you counted everybody in the pew and watching online. Because you know what happened? People were watching, and then they were cooking breakfast and watching, and then they were just eating breakfast. And for a week or two or three, that works. And then a month, and another month, and another month. And you know, there's other stuff I watch on Sunday mornings now. There are other places I go on Sunday morning. I don't worship anymore on Sundays. I used to worship on Sundays. Now, they don't say that. They don't intend that. But that's what's happened. And so the only way, or, or one of the things that God wants us to do is iron to sharpen iron. And if we have no contact with each other, we cannot sharpen each other. It becomes impossible, and so then it's left to us. So I want, you to, I want to give you a few ways, though. This isn't like, okay, everybody feel bad and come forward, and then we'll have a really good number to put in the bulletin. That's not what I'm trying to say. I want you to see how we sharpen sometimes. Parents sharpen. I think about this passage, obviously one of the most famous in all the Bible, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one 
love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see what he's saying here that's so important? We say, okay, we're supposed to teach our kids. What are we supposed to teach our kids? Well, here's, he kind of tells us. This is what we teach our kids, just the very basics here, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and that we love the Lord our God with all of our being, with all of our heart and soul and, and with our strength, with everything we have. And then that plays out in the things that we do. It plays out in the way that I help a homeless person or the way I talk about another Christian. It plays out in the way that I handle myself whenever I'm in, in line at HUB. And it plays out in the way that I deal with people, with what I watch and, and with how I talk. That I love the Lord my God with all of my heart and soul, strength and mind. That that's how I am impressing those on my children. That I am sharpening my children so that they will know. Maybe they'll walk away someday, but they will know that their parents were always serious about their faith. Sometimes, and we'll talk about this another time, sometimes kids do walk away. And, and most of us realize that even when we do everything we can. You know, we'll go back to the movie lines one of these days and I'll have to do the song, Mama Tried. Don't blame mama. Mama tried. I went to prison on my own. So, older women sharpen. Thinking about the passage in Titus chapter 2, we're going to look at for just a minute in 2, verses 3 and 4. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. When they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. That they, that they teach them to love their husbands and children. Older women. And you say, okay, now who are the older women? Who are you calling old? If you know any woman that is younger than you, you are the older woman, okay? So if you have to be 21 to be a woman, then 22-year-olds, you are the older women. There is an obligation to teach younger women. There's an obligation to teach there. It is an encouragement from Paul to Titus to say, the future of the church when I'm gone, this is what it ought to look like, where older women are helping younger women. And if I don't know, if I'm an older woman and I don't know any younger women, I'm not helping them in the Lord, then I'm not doing one of those good works, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 2, that was planned for me to do. That somehow I'm teaching and sharing along the way with younger women about how they're to love their husbands, how they're to love their kids, how they're to live their lives and, and, and speak, and obviously everything else that goes along with that. Now also, older men sharpen. You ever notice you can't talk about older women, but you can talk about old men, right? I don't know why it's that way. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. If they don't notice what is good, we need to share with them what is good. 
I can remember a time back when many, many years ago, I was probably about, well, I was about 13, 14 years old in one of my summer jobs. Um, it was more than a summer job, but it started in the summer. And I can remember I was leading by example. And I remember the other guys that worked with me, I mean, they cussed like sailors. And one time, um, three or four months into it, I said, you know, I don't cuss. They said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. Oh, yeah, we heard you. Well, I really didn't. But just living this life and not cussing didn't show anybody because they just assumed I did because they did, right? They didn't even think about it. So whatever it is, it was not just language. I don't mean that. I mean with so many things. We show and we tell. We do it together. But if we have no relationships with younger men, then it's going to be very hard to do that. There are some things we can do publicly. We can stand up and preach. We can teach a class. Whatever it is, we can have, have different opportunities. But it has to get deeper than that. So what are the opportunities for what are the, the materials for shar sharpening? And really, tonight, there's much more than this, but it's fellowship and relationship. This congregation works really hard to develop relationships and to provide ways of fellowship. So this weekend, 70 couples have been gone to the marriage retreat. It would have been higher, but we're in the era of COVID. There is a family retreat. There is a women's retreat coming up. There is a mentoring program for our women. There is a faithful fathering thing that helps, helps our dads. There is the singles group known as Focus. There's, there, there's the honeymooners class and the young families class and uh, uh, other classes to try to create relationships. There's a men's breakfast that happens once a month. There are all kinds of things to try to get people together. There's the... the Fall festival, when families work together and individuals work together and you get to know people. But if you never participate in those things, how are you ever going to get to know other people and create those relationships? How is that ever going to happen? And if you only come in on Sunday morning and you dip right back out, how are you ever going to know anyone. It doesn't happen that way. One time, and, and a woman, we, we've, we try to meet everybody. You know that, and all of you do too, but we had some folks come one time, a woman come one time, and she said, I'd heard such good things about Memorial, and you were the, uh, you were the rudest church I've ever been to. Nobody talked to me. I came in. Nobody, nobody said a word to me, and I was a visitor, and nobody realized that, and I left. Well, I was really sorry about that, obviously, and that is not who we want to be. And I wrote to her and I said, I'm sorry, please come back. I'll, you know, my wife and I will take you to lunch. You'll be our guest. Please sit with my wife and, and, and during the service. And, and I said, did you, happen, did you happen to go to Bible class? Because if you were in a Bible class and that's a smaller group where you usually automatically get to know people, and I'd just be... Uh, appalled if nobody talked to you there and did you happen to be there on a Sunday night when we have a smaller group or be in one of our small groups on a Sunday night like at one of our houses did you happen to do any of those things because I can't believe you could go to somebody's house and no one talked to you that just makes me sick if that's what happened to you well no I was about five minutes late and I came in 
And then I left with everybody. You know, you might have been sitting next to a visitor who also thought, why didn't you talk to me, right? Relationships can't just happen by coming and thinking magically, it just falls down on me. It doesn't work that way. So for those of us who are more seasoned Christians, who kind of think of ourselves as being around for a while, the responsibility is on us to find people to fellowship with, to find people to have relationship with so that we can help them along the way so that they can know Jesus as well, so that they can find this family that so many of us have found that, that has created such strong bonds. Now, obviously, we don't do everything in, right, and there's so much more we can do, but we need to think of it that way. Now, Acts 2, 42 through 47, I was jumping all the way to the end. They devoted themselves to the, you say, oh, please do that next time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is what the original church did right after 3,000 people were baptized. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers that were together and they had everything in common, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see what they did? They don't even just meet together on Sunday morning or Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They meet together all the time. There are a lot of things that go on in this congregation as well, not just in homes like tonight. A lot of folks are in, in homes in small groups. There's a Bible study here during the week, and there's another group that gets together. Women get together and, and draw and talk about Scripture in that time. There are lots of different various groups that get together, some that meet about specific needs as well. They met together. It's iron sharpening iron. That's what's happening. It's focused on scripture and it's iron sharpening iron as they grow and the church is growing. And the first number you have is 3,000 people have been baptized. The next number you have is that there are 5,000 of them because they spend time together. They talk to each other. They find, hey, I have that in common as well. I didn't know you did this or that. How can we use this for the Lord? I just think about these people who are giving who don't even know necessarily who it is that needs something, but I'll go sell a field and give so that they will have, they'll have whatever their daily needs are. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, this is what the Apostle Paul says to that little church in Thessalonica that was really, really young when he writes this. And he says, we're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Listen to this. This is relationship. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This is a key little line here at the end. I'm not here just to preach the Bible and walk out. 
I'm not here to just give a sermon that maybe could, could, it's not, but could be the world's greatest sermon and then walk right back out the door. That is not why I'm here. And I don't think it's why most of us are here. We're not here just about the gospel as far as hearing the gospel. We are here about the relationships of giving each other to each other in the name of Jesus. That's what's happening. That's what makes a strong church. A church that's only one where people file in and file out like they've just gone to see a movie is a theater. It's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is about working together, about, about how the, the blood and the, the nerves and, and, and the fluids and the ligaments and the, and the muscles all work together in tandem. That's the body of Christ. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we live in a time when many people don't see it that way. They see the body, they see church as something I go, I take, and I leave. It's not a grocery store, although we will be nourished from what we get there. But if that's all it is, we have missed the point of why God created the church in the first place. It is iron sharpening iron as one man or woman sharpens the other. When we work together, we are all sharpened. But if only a few do the work, only a few will be sharpened. And the rest will sit around and say, what have you done for me lately, right? So how about me? How about me? Am I one that sharpens? Or am I one that just waits to be sharpened? Am I one that's working to put God first, not only in my life, but loving other people to want God in their lives? Am I someone that says, not only do I give you the gospel, I'm giving you my life. And when I give you my life, I'm giving you the gospel, but I'm giving you every bit of it. And then we see people come to know Jesus like they have never known Jesus before. Tonight, ready? You're, maybe you're ready to be baptized into Jesus. Maybe you need prayers, and you can, if you need prayers, you can come forward or write to us at elders at mcoc.org. We want to help. Come as we stand and sing. Replace